Welcome back to IntelliCast. I am Brian Peterson. Thanks for tuning back in. This episode is brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. If you want to connect with us, you can reach out to us on email at IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com or on Twitter at EMI underscore research or IntelliCast1. Uh, you can also leave us a voicemail or text us at 513-401-5463. Got a good episode for you today. We are joined by President of Breakthrough Research, Dan Breaker. This was a great conversation. Not only did we learn more about Dan, how he got into market research, and why, as being a Canadian, he is not a hockey fan, but a basketball fanatic. We also learned about Breakthrough Research's new brand authenticity approach. It was really cool to talk about the results of which brands are considered authentic that Dan and his team uncovered with their pilot program. I don't want to give it away now. I'm going to let you guys find out with the interview. And so with no further ado, let's jump into the interview with Dan. Joining us now, we have Dan Breaker. He is the president of Breakthrough Research. Uh, hello, Dan. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Glad to have you on today. And uh, thanks for joining us. And we'll get into the first. My first question, I think, is an obvious one. Is Breakthrough Research, is that based on your name, Breaker? It is a loose pun based on my name. Um, when the company first started, it was actually spelt like my last name. It was Breakthrough, B-R-A-K-E, through, okay. which was more of a pun on the name. And honestly, the reason we did that is because I really was bootstrapping things when the company started and I couldn't afford to buy a domain and that one was available. And that's how the company got named. But after a while, it just became confusing for people and we rebranded. And at that point, I could afford to buy a domain. So we we changed the name to the traditional spelling of Breakthrough. Well, I love that story. And I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but our podcast is the definitive industry leader in evaluating and analyzing company brand names. We set the standard for <laughs> insights and expertise in the field. And we've talked about brand names a lot. I'm not even kidding. When uh, lots of companies change their names and rebrand, we're, we're yeah. kind of critical of it. So we're I'm actually love yours. That's a good one. Anyway, enough about us, right? So Dan, what led you come to the market research? What's your background? Well, I'll tell you how I got into the field. And it's going to make me sound old because it's it's got some very old school references in my story. But um, I started by studying psychology in school, and my original plan was to be a psych professor. That's what I thought I would be, and I was doing research in a lab at, at our university. And I just kind of found that the academic world moved a little too slowly for me. I was, I was interested in something a little more fast-paced, but I had no idea what I wanted to do and no idea what uh, my next steps were. And I graduated from school, and this is the part where it sounds old school, I saw an ad in the paper for a market research internship um, with a company that was then called the Angus Reed Group that was later acquired by Ipsos, but um, it was the Angus Reed Group in Canada. And I had no idea what market research was. I had no clue, but it had the word research in it. And I thought, well, I like to do research. I work in a lab and I like research. So I applied for it. And it was the one job I applied for and I got it and I've stuck with it ever since. I just found like it was a natural fit for me and it's turned into my career. But if I hadn't seen that in the paper, I probably would have never even thought of market research. Isn't that crazy? Like your story is interesting, but it's not that unique. Lots of people just kind of fall into this field, right? 
Yeah, yeah, it's very true. And imagine the talent we could have if we actually tried to promote our industry <laughs> instead of just kind of hoping that people find something intriguing about Angus Reid or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, now they do have masters of market research programs. So some people do come into the field with a little more knowledge of what the field is, but I don't think they had those when I started out. And uh, yeah, at the time, everyone just kind of fell into it accidentally. No one really knew what market research was about until you started doing it. Well, I would think a psych background um, certainly helps in understanding, you know, your role at a market research company that's uh, understanding people's, how their brains work and consumer behavior and things like that. So I think social science is a great background. And so you also worked with some big names in the industry, not just Angus Reid. I saw you worked with Ipsos. And how did this kind of background lead you to starting your own company? Yeah, so I started my... um my career at Angus Regroup, which became Ipsos. They were acquired by Ipsos um, back in the day when I was there. And, you know, it was a great company. I really, really enjoyed my time there. And I worked for a couple, you know, bigger market research companies. And, you know, I really enjoyed those experiences. I met a lot of great people. I definitely learned a lot. And, um, you know, the people I met are still some of our employees at Breakthrough today, some of our clients, some of my really good friends. So I had some really great experiences, but I found that when I was at the bigger companies, you know, like any big company, there was some red tape and there was some bureaucracy. And it also just felt like when you're at a bigger company, there's a lot of pressure to have profits. And sometimes it felt like all the focus was on profits and sales and, you know, honestly, less on just doing great work for the sake of doing great work and having great relationships with our clients. And you know, I kind of just felt that maybe there was a different way to go about it. If you could have more of a boutique agency, you could have deeper relationships with your clients. You could be more focused on just doing the great work. You didn't have to worry about every point of margin or profit. And that's kind of what led me to to start my own thing. And, you know, that was 10 years ago. We had our 10-year anniversary this year at Breakthrough. And at that time, I didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't know if it was going to be me and one other person. I didn't know if it was going to be a big company. I had no idea, but I just wanted to start and see what happened. And we've kind of just been moving along organically since then. Um, And I perused your website and you have a, not just you on the team, you have a very large team. So (laughs) you've obviously been very successful and um, sounds like you've created what you wanted, which is a boutique agency with deeper relationships with clients. Is that true? Like what is, what do you um, tell us about breakthrough research maybe? Yeah. Yeah. No, we're a boutique agency. And as I mentioned, we had our 10 year anniversary this year. So we've been around a little while now. And, you know, when I started, as I said, I didn't really know what I wanted it to be, but I guess it's kind of turned out what I wanted it to be. It is a boutique agency. You know, the team is a fantastic team. I'm very lucky about the people that we have, just both the talent and the pleasure it is to work with them. We've got great, great people. Um, we've got great relationships with our clients and we really are just a custom research agency at, at the heart of it. Um, you know, we do all forms of quantitative and qualitative work. Um, we do domestic work, we do global work. So we're, we're a custom research kind of shop. There are a couple of things that make us a little bit different. Um, we do have an in-house innovation team. So we've got a chief Mm -hmm. innovation officer with his team and he creates proprietary approaches, based on his academic work. So 
Um, he met, he creates approaches to measure implicit associations and to measure emotion. And we launched a new tool earlier this year to measure brand authenticity. And so he creates some of those tools. And then design is a very big part of our brand as well. We have a, an amazing in-house design team. They touch every slide of every deck. They create video. They do other multimedia stuff. And we really use design and data visualization to help make our deliverables more engaging and more exciting and more shareable. Um, so those, the insight and design, the uh, innovation and design parts are a little bit what makes us different, but at the heart of it, we're a, just a boutique custom research agency. No, I really like that. Yes, innovation for sure, or at least having a chief innovation officer and putting a focus towards innovation, to me, sounds very unique and sounds kind of exciting. And our industry has been, until the past few years, I think we're catching up now, just horrible at design. Um, so many bad PowerPoint presentations. I still see bad PowerPoint presentations, you know, and that... Yeah. You know, the, the focus of what we do is to deliver actionable insights, but it's really hard to do sometimes when you just have a boring PowerPoint deck. And so um, it's good to hear that you focus on having a design team and visualization. This is why producer Brian is here as well. He does the yeah. same thing for us, but that's kind of a newer role. And I think in our industry. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, our vision as a company is to be the industry leader in delivering powerful business insights through beautiful design. That's sort of our North Star as a company. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I think there are other companies out there that say, hey, we deliver powerful insights. That's our thing. And but they tend not to be great at design. Right. They don't they don't typically have that design aesthetic. And then there are other agencies too, not just us. They're very focused on design, but by and large, they're not as strong at the insights and the methodology. So that's how we see our unique place in the industry is the marrying up of those two things. We can get you those powerful insights, but we're going to deliver it in a way that's very engaging. And you can send that right up to your C-suite because they're really going to understand it and, and be excited to receive it and share it across the organization that way. Um, so that's, yeah, that's kind of our vision and that's how we try to be, to find our unique place in the industry. No, that's really cool. Um, and you mentioned chief innovation officer and creating proprietary tools such as implicit associations. And I guess you, you launched a product brand authenticity approach. Is that correct? Am I saying that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. We launched an approach earlier this year to measure brand authenticity it can also be used, by the way, to measure the authenticity of people. So you can use it to measure the authenticity of spokespeople or people in your messaging or advertising or things like that. But the original idea came as a, a way to measure the authenticity of brands. So what does that mean, measuring the authenticity of the brand? Yeah, so maybe I'll start by telling you a little bit where the idea came from, and then I can, that I think will bridge into what it means. Um, so, you know, we do a lot of brand work at Breakthrough Research, you know, pretty much every market research company does brand work. And what we were kind of seeing in the work we were doing and also just in the media is a lot of people were judging brands to a higher standard now than they, than they have been in the past, right? People aren't thinking of brands just as a product or a service that they might or might not buy, right? They are interested in whether this brand aligns with their personal values now, or is the brand doing something in their community 
Or is the brand doing something wrong that they don't agree with? That becomes part of their brand judgment as well. So we were just seeing that, you know, people have these higher standards now for brands than they ever did before. And they can be quite critical of brands as well if they're not meeting those, those standards. So we were observing that and just thinking, you know, how do we really bring this into the world of brand research? How do we help companies understand whether they're living up to these new consumer standards or not? And that's where we really landed on, you know, this is all about authenticity. Consumers are really trying to evaluate whether brands are being honest and transparent and acting on what they say. And so we had that idea of brand authenticity and Then we started to review a lot of the academic literature on how people were measuring authenticity, um, as well as other sources of literature. You know, we we were honestly looking at what are philosophers saying about authenticity? What are what are different authors saying about authenticity? And so we reviewed all of those materials and then came up with what we felt authenticity meant, particularly from a business perspective and then use some of the principles from academic research to create a proprietary tool to measure it. And um, then conducted a pilot study earlier this year to really test it out and measure the authenticity of a a bunch of brands and people. I'm kind of fascinated by that. And I think brand management at the corporate level is so risky these days because of what you mentioned. Um, If you don't say the right thing, or you don't avoid saying the wrong thing. I mean, you can really crush your brand and you've seen a lot of attempts to kind of destroy brands over the past few years. Some are somewhat successful, some are not successful at all. So I think this is, uh, it's right on time, this type of research, just my opinion. Thank you. So you did a pilot earlier this year. Can you mention, or do you want people to download um, the report of what brands, maybe a couple of brands that you consider to be really authentic? Yeah. Yeah. We did a a pilot study earlier this year. We tested a bunch of different brands and it was really interesting. So, you know, some of the top brands, it was interesting to see which of those brands popped to the top, but also what those brands represent and, and what their themes were that were emerging. So one of the interesting things that we didn't anticipate was that three of the top four most authentic brands were kids brands, you know, are of the top four, Um, Lego was number one, Crayola was number two, and Hot Wheels was number four. So that was a really interesting pattern that, you know, there there may be just a a sort of innocence associated with kids brands that makes them seem more authentic. But not only that, it felt like maybe nostalgia played a real role in authenticity. If there were brands that you associate with your past, with your childhood, or you have nostalgic feelings about them, those can really pop towards the top in, in terms of having creating an authentic impression. So that was really interesting. Uh, it was also interesting to see some of the very close competitors that came out in our top 20. Um, so North Face and Patagonia were both in our top 20. And, you know, obviously they're competing in the same space. Um, Home Depot and Lowe's were in our top 20 um, and very close to each other in terms of authenticity. So there were, you know, just a lot of companies that were competing with each other and were very close and they were both scoring pretty um, closely to each other. And then there were some interesting results, too, in terms of just the different types of people that found a brand to be authentic. So one of the interesting things was Chick-fil-A came out as one of our most authentic brands. But when we looked into the data to see 
you know, who are finding these brands to be authentic. We found that Republicans found Chick-fil-A to be highly, highly authentic. It scored really well among them. But Democrats really found it to be much lower on the authenticity spectrum. So it was just interesting to see that different types of people may or may not find a brand authentic. And, you know, with Chick-fil-A in particular, some of the brand actions that some of the actions that a brand may take can really influence who you're connecting with in terms of authenticity. Um, a question this and your Chick-fil-A example gave me this thought is, is authenticity always a positive value for a brand to hold? Because I would, I would expect that the people that are detractors from Chick-fil-A for various reasons, it's because Chick-fil-A is who Chick-fil-A is, right? And is that a measure of their authenticity? I don't know. You, you're probably the expert on this, but I'm kind of intrigued by that, actually. Yeah, it is possible for a brand to be authentic, but not be received positively, right? So our authenticity measure is based on, are your actions aligned with what you do? Or, or, or are your actions aligned with what you say, excuse me, as a company, right? Do you follow up on what you say? And are your public actions aligned with your internal private actions? And so we have different aspects of authenticity like that, that we ask respondents to indicate how close or far apart do you feel these dimensions are for a particular brand? So you could feel negatively about a company, but also feel like they are doing exactly what they say they're doing. And so you can have that kind of negative authenticity. That's kind of rare, but that is definitely possible. Okay. Fascinating. Um, and you said this was a pilot. Will this be something that's ongoing, like a tracking study? Will you, will you measure kind of the change in authenticity for brands or the impact certain things might have to a brand's authenticity? Possibly. Yeah. So we did it as a pilot, both to test out the methodology and to have some results to share out. So we've shared out the results of our study with a bunch of our clients and people can download it from our LinkedIn as well um, or contact us if they want access to that report. Um, and now that that initial pilot has sort of been a proof of concept, we are implementing the results into different clients' studies. It's a tool that we're using in our, our research. But we may repeat it next year. We've kind of debated that to see, you know, how that how necessary that will be. But it could potentially be an annual study where we're measuring the movement of authenticity for different brands. And it is something that we've considered. Um, I have downloaded this report. First of all, it's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> it's thank really, you. It's really the design element is really popping. It's coming through. And so it's an easy, I would recommend anybody to download it. You'll learn something and 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 at least see a really cool report. And you made a recent LinkedIn post about the word authentic being the word of the year. And that kind of lends itself to our discussion, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So first of all, thank you for the compliments on the design. Um, you know, all the kudos goes to our design team. You know, I, I absolutely have no design skills, so I take no credit for that whatsoever. But I'm glad that you like it. Um, and then, yeah, we did post on our social media recently. Authentic was designated as the word of the year by Miriam Webster that just came out um, a few days ago. And so we were very excited to see that. I think that really validated the approach, you know, our belief that people are finding authenticity to be more and more important for their brand relationships and just for their lives, I think was really echoed in that, that, um, 
that step by Merriam-Webster to recognize that as the word of the year for 2023. So we were very excited to see that. Yeah, man, you got to love when that happens. Just, um, you know, somebody else recognizes the word authentic that lends itself, gives you momentum for what you're already doing and kind of gives you that gut check. Hey, we did the right thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of people were speculating, you know, is AI going to be the word of the year for 2023 or something along those lines? And, you know, it really turned out to be authentic. And, you know, AI is a very hot topic, but I think that even even creates more of a need for authenticity, right? In these days when you don't know what's human versus what's a bot or, you know, is this has this article been written by a computer or has it been written by a person? Has this artwork been created by a person or a computer? It, it just makes the importance of authenticity elevated even beyond what it was before. Right. Anything else about the authenticity approach that you'd like to talk about before we move on to a couple of fun questions? <laughs> Not that oh, that isn't you know- fun. <laughs> yeah, you know, as I mentioned, um, you know, it can also the approach can also be used to test the authenticity of people, um, not just brands. So in our pilot report, if people do access that, you'll see some of the the results of the people test. And there were some interesting findings in there. You know, we showed some of the results kind of in a head-to-head format, and we showed, you know, who's more authentic, Taylor Swift or Oprah Winfrey? Who's more authentic, Joe Biden? or Donald Trump, um, and who's more authentic, you know, um, Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg. So there were just some fun results there that people can check it out in our report. And it is something that uh, I would hope that brands keep in mind too, if they want to test a new spokesperson for their brand or someone they're going to put in their messaging or their advertising, this could be a really good approach for them as well. And I love that you did kind of the Elon Musk brands and you did the news and media brands. So you measured authenticity of Fox News and MSNBC and CNN. That's really cool. Um, yeah. We don't, we don't have to give that one away. People have to download the report to get that one. <laughs> and the gaming tech company. So yeah, it's very thorough. This is really cool. No, thank you. And so you can go to the website or LinkedIn to download that authenticity report. Um, and then moving on to a, a fun question. Um, you're a basketball fanatic. Uh, that's on your website. How did yeah. you become a, fat, a basketball fanatic growing up in Canada? <laughs> well, you know, that's uh, one of my big secrets as a Canadian that I am not a hockey fan. Um, all of my friends and family were big hockey fans um, when I was growing up. But here's here's my secret shame is that I don't even know how to skate. My parents... <laughs> put me in skating lessons when I was a kid and I refused to go and I never learned how to skate and I, I never became a hockey fan, but I loved playing basketball as a kid. So I, I was a huge basketball fan and played basketball and watched the NBA. And at that time when I was growing up, this is again, going to make me sound old, but Canada did not have a basketball team. This was before the days of the Toronto Raptors. Um, so I became a Portland Trailblazers fan. They were my favorite team. They, they had a really good team at the time led by Clyde Drexler and he was my favorite player. And I just became a, a lifelong basketball fan from there. Um, Brian, yes. you want to throw him off the podcast because of his lack of hockey affinity. <laughs> you finally have a Canadian. We have a Canadian. It's almost, by the way, recently we did insights takeover week in social media. And basically all we did was make fun of Canada. So this is a perfect interview for that. <laughs> yeah, Brian, go ahead with some hockey questions. Yeah. 
No, I, I won't get Dan on hockey questions. Um, but don't feel bad about not being able to skate. I don't know how to ski, so and most no of my family no. does. Oh, you can't ski? No. And pe- people I tell around here, they just assume I can. So yeah, you do. You do get a lot of that. And when people find out you're Canadian, they all assume you're a hockey fanatic that you can skate, that you can ski, all that kind of stuff. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a personal shame that I, I don't know how. It's one of my life goals to learn how to skate. Well, you have the um, Canadian, you seem like a very nice person. Like all Canadians to me seem very, very nice. And so you have that a stereotype going for you. Yes, that's a positive. <laughs> Thank you. I, I always have a joke that I share with people that, Canadians are the nicest people in the world, except for the ones that moved to the U.S. Oh, <laughs> all right. Which is just a well, joke. It's absolutely just a joke. It's it's more to make fun of myself than anything else. Right. So um, if people want to reach out to you, they want to download the report or more information on authenticity or anything else that Breakthrough does, how can they reach you? Yeah, so they can reach me at my email is probably the easiest way, dbreaker at bthrough.com. Um, we're also on LinkedIn and I'm on LinkedIn. If you don't have access to our email, it's a pretty easy way to find me. Um, and then our report is downloadable from there as well. But if, uh, if you reach out to us, we'd be happy to send you a copy of it as well. Awesome. Thanks for your time. It was really interesting. I love learning about new techniques and um, seeing fancy, really designed beautifully reports. So appreciate that, Dan. And um, have a great day. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me here as a guest. And it was great to talk to you all and um, wish you a a happy holidays ahead. You you as well. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.